So last night I was out at Camp Geneva and there's a group of middle school students uh, worshiping. And it always hits me uh, every year when I go to this camp and, and see middle school and high school students just so filled with worship. Um, sure, it is uh, often, most of the time, fueled by various caffeinated beverages and uh, sugary snacks. But last night they were singing the song, Same God, the, so- the song that we sing here, and just crying out and believing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the same God that moved powerfully years ago wants to move powerfully in their lives. And to see middle school students praying for one another, caring for one another, lifting up their, their hearts to the Lord together with hands raised and just shouting their praises to God was just absolutely amazing. And there was just this roar in this room that was beautiful. And again, it was motivated by a lot of things, but I believe it was motivated deep down uh, by just this love for Jesus. And I see that out there and I see that here in this room as uh, we desire to live not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Isaiah says that your name and renown, your name and your fame is the desire of our hearts. And that's how we want to live, not just today in this moment, but every single day. As we're walking around the streets, we're not drawing people to ourselves, we're drawing people to God and telling them how much God loves them, that he sees them, he cares for them, that he knows them. I think about that roar in that, that room, and I, it reminds me of a story I heard, and I may have shared this uh, before, but uh, a story about, uh, I heard about a man who went to South Korea years ago. He went over to South Korea to, uh, for business, uh, to do something. He was a believer, and, and I think this was in the mid-1900s or even early 1900s, went over to South Korea, and it was staying in a hotel. And about four o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, he heard this roar outside of his hotel room. And he was really upset because it woke him up from a deep sleep. And he's like, what is this roar? What is going on? And he saw just outside of his window that a stadium was filled with people and they were all shouting. And he's like, what athletic contest is happening at four o'clock in the morning? He tried to go back to sleep and put the pillow over his head and and tried to sleep, but with no avail, he just stayed up. And uh, when the front desk opened up later that morning, he went down and he goes, what was going on in the stadium at four o'clock in the morning? What sporting event was happening? And the person at the front desk said, oh, that wasn't a sporting event. That was the church gathered to pray. And I thought about that and I'm like, the church gathered to pray. Four o'clock in the morning, filling up a stadium in South Korea, crying out to God, doing this over and over and over again. And I I think about that type of prayer, and, and I so admire our hearts for prayer, but I'm like, I haven't seen that type of fervent prayer in my life all that often. Sure, there's that type of passion in a stadium as people gather together and cheer on a, a football team and watch uh, grown men in tight pants chase around a, you know, a piece of leather on the field. There's people going nuts in the stadium. But like for the church coming together to pray like that, to have that type of prayer life. If you look at South Korea and what has happened in South Korea at the turn of the century, the 1900 1900s, there was approximately 1% of their population was, were followers of Jesus. By the end of the century, by 2000, 20% of their population were followers of Jesus. That's quite a jump. And I just have to think, like, God hears the cries of his people and, and hears his people praying in stadiums, crying out, and God is going to be moved by the prayers 
of his people. And that shouldn't surprise us that all of a sudden it went from 1% followers of Jesus to 20%. And that doesn't even count the church and followers of Jesus who are part of the underground church. Last week, Mike did a great job teaching us on prayer. And he shared that the number of atheists went from 6% in America in 1991 to 25% in 2016. And in the age group between 19 and 29, 40% of people would say that they are atheists. Now, I know you can get statistics to say a bunch of different things. But you look at America. You look at what's going on in our country. And it's true, like the number of Christians is on the decline. And will continue to decline and become less than 50% in a number of years unless there's a radical transformation of hearts in our country. And I think about that and I think about where things are headed and I just ask the question, could it be because of there's a, a lack of prayer in the church and there has been a lack of prayer in the church? I mean, growing up, I didn't see that type of prayer gathering where it was filling stadiums and people were crying out to the Lord on their knees, begging God to move in the country. Now, there were glimpses. I grew up in Southern California, and I knew that in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s, there were gatherings of people that were meeting in L.A. area, crying out to the Lord, and they saw uh, movements of God where many people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But I have not seen that type of gathering where people are just crying out to the Lord. What I have seen is people working really hard, trying to get people into the church doors through a variety of means, but this type of desperation that we see in scripture, that we see all throughout history, I haven't seen that. Now, I see it here, like I've said, and I, I love that it's bubbling up and uh, Steve and Rebecca Grant calling people together in this community to pray for 24 hours to cry out to the Lord. That's a beautiful thing and other prayer gatherings that are taking place. But I feel that the Lord is telling us as a community that there is so much more, that he's inviting us into so much more, that he's saying, I've created you for so much more. I've created you for this relationship to walk with you every single day, to pour out your hearts before him, that he wants to be involved in our lives every single day, our lives individually, but our lives corporately as well. For years, I underestimated the power of prayer. I underestimated the importance of prayer. I remember uh, sitting down as a family when I was young. My dad asked me to pray, and my prayer was simply this, good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. <laughs> that's how I viewed prayer, and often even into my adult life, that's how I viewed prayer. Now, as soon as I said that, my dad hit me upside the head and said, for try again. Uh, but like so often, it just was something to be said instead of coming before the Lord and crying out before him. Like I said, I believe God is inviting us into something more. And before we hop into a passage that I want to hop into this morning, I want to ask you a question. How would you describe your prayer life? How would you describe your prayer life? If, imagine going into a coffee shop. Many of us go into coffee shops on a regular basis, if not daily basis. Go into a, a, a coffee shop and you interact with the barista and you say, um, this is the type of drink I want. And then you go and sit at a table. Often you sit at a table and you have a deep conversation with a friend that lasts an hour or so, just kind of sharing life. Which picture describes your relationship with God, your prayer life? Is it the interaction with the barista where you go up and you say, hey, this is what I want, and then you go and, and sit down? Or is your prayer life described by sitting at a table 
across from a dear friend opening up your heart to him or her. I believe the one picture, picture of a friendship, of an intimacy, is what God is inviting us into. I mean, Luke 11, Luke 11 verse 1, it's up on the screen, I believe. The disciples, they see Jesus praying. They see Jesus praying, and, and he prayed at a variety of times, and he was always praying. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, what's interesting is the, the disciples were, were men of prayer. They were taught prayer as, a, as, as boys. They knew what it was like to pray, but they looked at Jesus and they saw him praying and they're like, there's something different about how he's praying. Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, they didn't ask him, Jesus, teach us to lead. Jesus, teach us to preach. Teach us to, to do a bunch of things. No, they said, teach us to pray, and then he went on and taught, him to, taught them to pray, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But what's interesting is they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they, again, they saw him praying in a different way. And sure, when you see and you read the prayers of Jesus all throughout the New Testament, his public prayers were short. Often he would come up to a person and he would just pray, be healed, and they were healed, and his prayers were really, really short publicly. But privately, he would spend all night praying, pouring out his heart to the Father. In John, he says, like, I only do what I see the Father doing. The, the night before he was betrayed, he was in the garden praying all night, pouring out his heart before his Father, saying, if there's any other way, then do it, but not my will be done, your will be done. And I believe they saw in Jesus exactly what he taught against. See, Jesus would go into the te temple and he would quote from the prophet Isaiah and he'd say, you know what? Your worship is, is, is empty. Your hearts are far from the Lord. God wants your heart. And Jesus lived that way. Out of this relationship with the Father. And that's what he's inviting us into. And the reason that prayer is so important and this lifestyle is so important is because at the heart of Christianity is a restored relationship. And that is what prayer is all about. Walking in relationship with the Father. Walking in that relationship. Pouring out everything before him. Now the thing that people have seen in the church in America is a lack of two things. One, a lack of prayer. But number two, when we do pray, our priorities are not God's priorities. And so I think the thing that we need to ask is how do we pray God's priorities? How do we pray in a way that moves the heart of God? And that's where I want to look at Matthew 6, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the version out of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6. And this is the, the Lord's Prayer. And here's the words of Jesus in, in Matthew 6 verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may, seen by, uh, may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will re reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Over the next couple of weeks, I just want to look at this prayer and just highlight like what, how Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, like, pray this way, which I find is so interesting. He says, pray this way, not just pray these words, just like in, in, in memorization, just don't just, just go through a list and just pray that. But like, he models for us how to pray and what we should pray. Notice a couple of things, like at the very beginning, Jesus says three times, when you pray, there was this expectation, and not even just an expectation, there was this invitation to his followers that they will pray. They will pour out their hearts before the Lord. And he says, when you pray, go in secret. Go in your room. Shut the door and pour out your heart before your Father who's in heaven. Years ago, I, I shared a little series uh, from this uh, chapter in Matthew, and we called it The Secret Life. And there should be a part of our, a big part of our following Jesus that no one should know about. We should have a part of our life that is secret, not in a bad way, but in a very good way, where we go into our closets, where we go into our rooms, where we go into those places where no one can see, and we fall on our knees and fall on our face before the Lord and just pour out our hearts before Him. This is what Jesus was inviting us into. When you go, when you pray, pray in secret. Pour out your heart to your Father in heaven who sees you, who knows you, who cares for you. And then on top of that, when you're pouring out your heart, we all have stuff. Come to him in a real way. Don't just heap up empty phrases like they want, so many of the religious people did. No, be real, be raw, let them have it. And then he goes, pray like this. And then you look at the Lord's Prayer. You look at this prayer and it is filled with phrases that just, just point to the depth of relationship that God wants to have with us. Look at how he starts. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus starts by saying, our Father. Pray like this, our Father. Now, addressing God as a Father wasn't something new that Jesus just introduced. This is seen throughout the Old Testament, but it is not the dominant way that people prayed in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the primary way that people related to God was as God, Lord, or they didn't even mention his name. There was a reverence that, um, that they had in coming before God. But in the New Testament and here in this prayer and all throughout the New Testament, you see that Jesus makes the primary way that we are to relate to God is as Father, is as Dad. Come to him and say, Abba, Dad, Daddy, this is what is going on. And so as we pray, like the first thing that we say is like, Father, this is what's going on in my life. You are my Father. I remember being on vacation a couple years ago and, and hearing people from another culture and seeing the kids run around and they were just giggling and laughing and they were interacting with their dad and they were just crying out, Abba, 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 Abba. And I'm like, oh, that's the picture. That's the picture of prayer. That word is supposed to go up to be before our Father and just say, Daddy, Daddy, this is what's going on. And this communicates so much. This communicates an intimacy that God wants to have with us. One that I think we not often think about because of a variety of reasons. Maybe a, a poor relationship that we had with our own dads. 
But God is inviting us to call him Father through the blood of Jesus that we can come up into his lap and just say, Father, this is what's going on. A couple weeks ago, as we were in one of those training times and we were splitting up into small groups and we were talking and there were a number of, of guys that were saying, uh, just some, they're just sharing some barriers to prayer. Why they don't pray. And then some people said, and a number of people said, one of the biggest barriers uh, to prayer is that, that we know the stuff that we have. We know the sin that we've committed. And, and, and we felt like our Father didn't want us to bring that to Him. And so one of the barriers to prayer is a misunderstanding of the Father's heart. We don't view Him as loving. We remember our sin and we think about our sin and we're like, well, He doesn't want us to come before Him. And in that conversation, it came to the reality that we think about our sin more than our Father thinks about our sin. Because if we're in Christ, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. And he wants us to come to him. And one of the things that the enemy wants us to believe in our life, is he wants us to believe that God is distant, that God is uh, uninvolved in our life. In fact, if you go back into uh, Genesis 3, where the serpent comes to Eve and asks the question, and the question is this, do you want to be like God? It's interesting, the word that the enemy uses for God See, all throughout the, New, the Old Testament, the word for God or the phrase for, for God is Yahweh Elohim, which is still this, this powerful God. God is powerful. God is almighty, but also communicates a God that wants to be known, a God that wants to be understood, a relational God. But when the serpent comes to Eve, he only uses the word Elohim, which means just a deity, just a, a divine being that is, that is distant, that is set apart. A kind of a tyrant. And I find it so interesting that the enemy still today, just like years ago, wants us to believe that God is not a father, that God is distant, that God is way off, that God is uninvolved in our life. And as we believe that, if we believe that lie, it prevents us from coming before our father and just pouring out our hearts before him. See, I think so many people today think that God doesn't want to be involved in their life, that God is distant, but throughout the scripture, we see that that is the opposite, that God is a loving God that cares for us, that wants us to come before him and pour out our requests before him, that God is a father who loves us deeply, who desires that intimacy with us. And so Jesus says, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our father who's in heaven, and who's our father? He is the one who is seated in the heavenlies. He's the one who, who puts his feet on earth like, a, like that's his footstool. He's the one who the angels worship night and day. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's the one who created it all. And you know what? We get to look at him and say, that's my dad. And because of that, we are his kid, deeply loved. But I love this. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And that word that we so often skip over is our. Our Father. We're not alone in this. We are in this together. We belong to a family. This is so neglected in our culture that focuses on the individual. We are part of a body where we belong, where we can be known and fully loved. And we can get a taste of that relationship that we have with our Father. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. And that is so important to remember. This week I saw this picture that someone posted online and I thought it was interesting. Put it up there. 
says, if I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church, was a photo. And I was scrolling, and it hit me. Like, that's a powerful picture in so many different ways. First of all, I believe that the first step that people have away from God is to take a step away from the people of God. See, we are created to be a part of a family, to be in this together, to be able to pull one another up, to be able to pray for each other as you're going through difficult times. We are never intended to go through this life alone. We are part of a body, part of a family, so that when we say our Father who art in heaven, it communicates that we are not in this alone. And so as soon as people step outside of the body of Christ, outside of the family, there is a risk for danger that you're all alone and you're easily attacked. But I look at that picture and at first I saw that little zebra in the forefront being chased by a lion. And I'm like, wow, that is what it looks like to to step outside and to to try to do life alone. But then it broke my heart to see all those zebras in, in the background just watching their little buddy being chased. And too often I think this is... Like, not here, but like in other places, this can be the picture of the church. People step outside and they're like, oh, good luck. Have fun by yourself. But does it break our hearts to a point where we see people trying to do life on their own, like being out there just facing the enemy by themselves? Does it break our heart to the point where we run and enter into that mess and say, we are in here with you. We're going to rescue you. I wonder, I don't know much about the zebra culture. Maybe someone here does. But what would have happened if all of those zebras would have run in there and started attacking that lion, kind of like made a mess of it? Like this whole picture of how Jesus taught us to pray, we pray our Father, is such a reminder that we are in this together. We are not alone. And so that's why this is so very important. So Jesus said, when you pray, start this way. Pray our Father who art in heaven. You are my dad. I belong to a family. You are in heaven. You are all powerful. But what is the first thing that we are to say to our father in heaven? It's not like, hey, I need this. I need that. I need all of this help. No, our first step, our first approach to God as our father is to worship. It says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, which means holy are you, set apart. You are worthy. There is none like you. This is where we start. See, and we live in this world. And when we pray like this, we live in a world where it's just like everything is vying for our affection and for our worship. And so as we sit in prayer and we say, God, you are holy. It's not like that he is empty and he needs our worship. He has everything that he needs. It's a reminder for us to say that he alone deserves our worship, that no other um, thing, no other person, no other uh, material item in this world deserves our worship. Only God deserves our affection. And so when we start praying this way, there is this defiant adoration that rises up and saying, I am going to live my life for the audience of one and worshiping one person and one person only, and that's my Father in heaven. See, so often I started the service this way. We think worship. Oh, sing a couple songs and then we, you know, get on with our life. But worship is so important that in, throughout the Old Testament, the armies, they went in. The first thing that they, they sent into the battle were the worshipers. Worship does something. I remember in Acts 16, Paul and Silas in prison. And what do they do? They're not like complaining, sitting there criticizing what happened. No, they are worshiping. 
And that is how God wants us to start our prayer time with him, is just in worship. And so I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge all of us this week to live a life of worship. Now, to lay down our lives and to serve others, but to live a life of worship in regards to our Father in heaven, to go to him every single day and saying, you are great. Maybe like this week, as you begin your day, begin with a song, begin, turn on the radio, turn on, turn on music and just worship your heart out. Maybe if singing isn't your thing, maybe it's starting with a saying and saying to God, you are awesome, you are great, you are mighty. See, too often we come to our Father with a list of complaints or a list of needs when we need to just pour out our heart and give him thanks for who he is. And maybe it's gratitude. Maybe it's you just saying, God, thank you for this breath that I just breathed. Thank you for the life that I have. Thank you for the friendships that I have. Thank you for the body that I'm a part of. And then Jesus says, as you start that way, our Father who art in heaven, Holy are you, hallowed be your name. Then we start praying. And what do we ask? We ask this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll pick up there next week and just like, what are the things now that we bring to God and say, this is what we want. And he says, pray this way. Pray with your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give up control of your life and invite the Lord's will into your life and saying, God, I want your will, not my own. And so what I want to do as we wrap up this morning, I want to invite Josh and Michelle and the team to come up and they're going to sing the Lord's Prayer. Sing this song uh, just called Our Father. And what I want us to do is just in our own way, worship God. I want us to stand together. And as they sing this song, Our Father, I just want us to focus on one word of just our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just like we, we began with, we're going to end just at the time of worship and just saying, God, you alone are great. You alone are deserving of all of my praise and adoration. Before we get to anything, asking anything, we are just going to worship you for who you are. And so as we sing this, maybe just thank God for something that he's done in your life. Thank you for his power. Thank, you for his, thank him for his greatness. Whatever comes to mind. Father, I do. Just as we sing this song, I pray. I ask, Father, that you would grow in us a desperation for you, a hunger for you. That every single day we would just be so dependent on you, our Father who loves us. That God, right now in, this, in our midst, that you would, um, any lies that we believe, that you would just remove those from our mind. Any lies that we believe in regards to who you are, that you would replace those with the truth. That you are loving, that you are kind, that you are compassionate. That you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. May we be a people. May we be kids. It just run to you time and time again. Yelling out, Abba, Abba, Dad, Dad, this is what's going on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can do this. Thank you that we can call you Father. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.